All right, good morning. James 127, just a short review, but we will begin James chapter 2 today. <clears throat> you know, I asked myself the question all week <clears throat> studying this. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Am I the same person here? when we gather together to worship as I am out there when I'm in the world? <clears throat> is my Christianity isolated to the gathering of the saints? Or does my Christianity go with me out into the world? Am I the same person here that I am out there? More importantly, am I the same person out there that I am in here? James probes into our hearts today in the text in chapter 2. Um, and we'll look at that after a short review uh, in chapter 1. But let's, let's pray and ask God's help. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you so much for being here in your presence. Father, thank you that we have your word. I thank you for the reading before. What an appropriate reading for this week. O God, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're so thankful to have these young ones with us. O Lord, I pray that you would speak to them and bless them. O God, more importantly, may we love them. And Father, may we show Christ to them. Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. I pray that we would attend upon your word without distraction. Forgive us for our sins, Father, as we come before you. And I pray, Lord, that when we leave today, we would be better than when we came. And we want to give you all the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> James 127, pure religion, James writes, and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It's a wonderful passage of the scriptures. <clears throat> Last time we considered that this must be an essential characteristic of our Christianity. Keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. We spoke of visiting the fatherless and widows the week before. But if you and I would fulfill this truth as children of God, we must constantly be turning from sin and from the influence of the world. See, James says, pure religion is keeping oneself unspotted from the world. And so we must be careful to not allow the world to influence us to sin. But as you know, the world is going to daily try and pull you into it. If you live in the world like me, you know that. For that is the reason that you have a continual need after you leave today to continually be being transformed by the renewing of your minds, by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. This cannot be all of your Christianity, which you do on Sunday. When you come to the worship, this cannot be where you shut the book until you come next Sunday. Beloved, you need to be transforming yourself daily. You need to be 
as that proverb we looked on Wednesday, the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The soul, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. And so, beloved, that is not to be us. Listen, to be in love with the world is to not be in love with Christ. If anyone who professes to be a Christian loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. This is what the Scriptures teach us. You cannot love the world and love Christ. James is teaching us that true and genuine Christianity is to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Friendship or kinship or fondness for the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, shall be a friend of the world is an enemy of God, is the enemy of God. It's not, now, James is not teaching us to go out and hate the world and hate people in the world. But he's talking about us being fond of the world and of the world's philosophies and of the world's sin. Being fond of the God of this world. Beloved, we know who that is. If you would keep yourself unspotted from the world, you must keep yourself from being influenced by it. Don't forget that. And remember, the world is under the leadership of the God of this world. And there's nothing more that he would love than for you to reunite with him in the world. He wants you back. And so don't ever forget that. Now, as we begin James chapter 2, James teaches us about wrong thinking. Remember, James is the show me writer. He wants you to show you his, show you your faith. He wants you to show him rather your faith by your works. We can say that we have faith in Christ, but if it never translates into action in our lives or how we live, then it's a worthless faith. Beloved, James teaches us about wrong thinking in chapter 2 and a bad attitude that exists in the world that you must never allow to be in your heart as children of God. Let's read James 2. Verses 1 to 14, James says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. In other words, these things should not be coupled together. Your Christianity should not be coupled together with you being a respecter of persons. For if there come unto your assembly, unto your gathering, unto your church... A man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, well-dressed. And there come in also a poor man in vile raiment or in shabby clothes. And you have respect to him that weareth the gay or fine clothing. And you say unto him, sit here in the good place. And say to the poor... Stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Or you tell them, go sit on the side. Or you shun them. You receive the well-dressed. You shun the one that's shabbily dressed. James says, are you not then partial? Means biased. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Judges with evil thoughts. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? 
Apparently, there was some of this going on in the Christian community. And there were those that professed faith in Christ who were biased, prejudiced, respecters of persons. Verse 6, James goes on, but you have despised the poor. And that's why I believe it was probably going on. You have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law, that is the law of the king in whom you profess to believe, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. You do well if that's the way you live. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. And what was the example? The example was you treat the rich guy that comes in well, but not the poor. So if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all or of all the law. <clears throat> For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Verse 14, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? So the question for you today, and I've asked myself all week, are you a respecter of persons? Are you partial to some? or partial against some and impartial with others. It's not are you respectful to persons. We ought to be that. Look at Romans 13. This passage comes to mind. Romans 13 and verse 8. <clears throat> Paul's talking about rendering in verse 7. To all their dues, tribute to whom tribute, in other words, taxes, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, is due. And next he says, owe no man anything, but you do owe this, but to love one another. Do you know that I, I'm obliged, I'm obligated, I owe that to you? As a Christian, I'm obligated to love you. He says, owe no one anything but to love him. I owe you that. That's a debt that I must always pay and should want to pay. Second great commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He goes on to say, look, he says, for he that loveth 
another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, steal, don't bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He goes on in verse 10 to say, love worketh no ill toward his neighbor. In other words, doesn't do anything against his or her neighbor. If we don't do anything against, that means we should be doing what's for them. And he says again, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I owe it to you to love you no matter who you are. No matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what you do for a job, no matter what, I owe that to you. So what is it then to be a respecter of persons? It's respecting certain people because of who they are. And it's disrespecting some others because of who they are. We discriminate. And beloved, it should not be so in the kingdom of God. If you're a respecter of persons, you judge someone by how they look. Or by their social status by their wealth, maybe by their poverty, maybe by their ethnicity. You're a respecter of persons if you judge them because of where they live or perhaps by their vocation. Child of God, hear what God is teaching you this morning. <clears throat> He talks about this three times in this chapter. Verse 1, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. In other words, don't be a Christian and be a respecter of persons. Verse 4, are you then partial or biased in yourselves? He's asking you that question. Do you look at people and judge them before you've ever spoken to them? Judge them by their look. If you do, you're partial. If you do, the sin of being a respecter of persons is in you. Verse 9, if you do have respect to persons, you commit sin. Listen, we should not be biased or partial toward any. We should be impartial and unbiased to all. Remembering that none of us were born or made any better than the other. When you were born, you were not born in a better condition than the person perhaps that you're look at, looking at. None of us are any better than the other. Every one of us was created with the image and likeness of God. And every one of us, no matter what or who we are now are sinners. The Bible says the rich and the poor meet together. Death is the great leveler. Doesn't matter how rich you are. Doesn't matter what you had in this world. When you come to death, the rich and the poor meet together. The elite doesn't matter, beloved. There's none of us 
that are any different. Listen, everyone whom you see came into the world the same way as you did. We should therefore treat everyone who crosses our path with dignity and respect. Everyone. And you might say, have you ever done this? Respect persons? Yes, I have, to my shame, I have. I've looked at people and I've thought to myself things that I shouldn't have thought. And then afterward meeting them and realizing how wrong I was. But it doesn't matter if I was wrong after I met them. I was wrong in every way. And so, beloved, we should treat everyone that crosses our path with dignity and respect, no matter how they look, no matter how they're dressed, no matter what they have or don't have, no matter where they live, no matter whether rich or poor. Everyone whom you see came into the world the same way that you did with nothing. And we will all die with nothing. What you see on the outside is garnish. You know what garnish is? You go eat, they put it on your plate because it looks pretty, but you can't eat it. It's useless. It looks nice, but we're prone to look at the garnish, aren't we? The outward appearance, the outside. But remember, beloved, it's superficial, it's unimportant, and it's immaterial. Spurgeon wrote this, The rich and the poor must soon meet in the grave, and there all differences of rank will be obliterated. Charles Bridges said, At the gate of the invisible world, the distinction of riches and poverty is dropped. There, is, there are no more distinctions. But listen, people fancy themselves who have a lot of stuff and they want to be famous in this world. They want their lands and their houses to be named after them. It's as if they want to continue to live forever. They want to have an eternal progeny. They want to be able to continue though they're gone to live. This is folly, beloved. Look at Psalm 49. The psalmist writes of this. This ought to help us to see the futility and the wrongness of thought of being a respecter of persons. Verse 6, no, they that trust themselves, 49.6, they that trust themselves in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. That he should live, still live forever and not see corruption. Verse 10 says, For he seeth, they ought to see, that wise men die likewise the fool, and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever. But it's not going to be so. Look at verse 14. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. 
Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. See Lot. He says, therefore, be not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, they shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Be not a respecter of persons. You know why? You're no better. If you're better as a Christian, that better part of you ain't from you. It's from Christ. And so don't ever think that you're better because you're saved and you know better about some things. Make sure that you know, as Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And that's it, beloved. But by the grace of God, I would be despised in the world. And you know what? I ought to be. But second, James's emphasis in our text is not so much on individual Christians, but it's how we it's how we treat people as a church, as a collective body of Christ. It's how we receive them because that's the example that he uses. Did you see? It's the example if somebody walks in and they're they're they haven't taken a bath, they have dirty clothes. And we kind of shun them and we don't, we don't want to be around them. But then somebody comes in and they're well-dressed and we, we receive them. It's fine. Beloved, we ought to receive them all. And listen, let me just say that, church, you do that well. Let me just say that. I think that you've been a very good testimony. I've not seen people shunned. And so I thank you for that. But the question remains, and I go back to what I said at the beginning, am I just behaving like this because I'm here among the brethren? Or is that who I am out there? Because who I am here, I want to be out there too. I don't want to just be a Christian in church. Beloved, we ought to be children of God out there too. And to not be respecters of persons. Listen, we ought not want to give attention to and love some because of what we see. And avoid and shun others because of what we see. And so what do strangers who come in through these doors who've never met us. What do they experience from us? They should experience the love of Christ. They ought to experience the kindness of Christ. Listen, the world is full of sinful prejudices, partiality, biases. And we as individual Christians must recognize these sinful attitudes when they begin to fester inside of us. If they begin to form in us, in our minds. 
And we should recognize it and we should abhor it. We should want to cast it far from us. It's one thing to have one prejudiced person among many who are compassionate and lovers of Christ. It's another thing to only have one lover of Christ and many persons that are prejudiced and respecters of persons. Beloved, let us, not one of us, be satisfied when we have thoughts that come into our mind that make us want to be respecters of persons. And listen, here's the best example for you. The best example of a man who was no respecter of persons looked no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. Look no further than Christ. Think about this. Look at the men that he chose to be his apostles. I wish I could see them. They didn't have big long robes with frills. They didn't have the phylacteries, the fringe. They didn't look like holy men or what the holy men of that time, the Pharisees and the scribes looked like. But look at those men, men who would communicate God's salvation and God's truth for every succeeding generation. We preach the doctrine of the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us that. But look who Christ chose. He chose poor men, poor men, ignorant and unlearned men. You might think, man, he chose men that were not qualified. He chose unlearned fishermen. He chose a public tax collector, a publican, who was collecting taxes for the oppressors of Israel, for the Romans. Matthew. You and I wouldn't have chose him. Chose fishermen, a tax collector, and a zealot, a revolutionary, one that wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Wanted to, he wanted to mount a big attack, Simon. All of them were common. All of them were ordinary. Every one of them was unqualified for what was before them. Every one of the apostles. If Jesus was a respecter of persons, Paul would have been the only one that I would say had some pretty good qualifications. And yet Paul knew after Christ had saved him, he says, those things that I did count gain, I count them lost for Christ. They're worthless to me. And so he knew that. How would we treat the 12 apostles if they walked in the door right now? If we saw them. Let me just take you a little further. How would we treat the Lord Jesus himself? I would say that he might not look like we maybe think he should. In fact, in Isaiah, the Bible says that he was despised and rejected of men. There was nothing comely in him. He didn't look royal. He looked, I believe, common. And he lived, beloved, in the world, not like a king. 
but like a poor man. Christ called these men and he taught these men and he loved these men in their poverty and in their nothingness. And beloved, that's how we ought to that's how we ought to receive everyone that comes. When they believed him to be their Messiah, he continued to devote himself to them, to teach them and equip them for what was before them. He took men that were nothing and he formed himself in them and he taught them and he made them what they were. And listen, if you're a Christian, you must be conformed to the image of Christ and Christ must be formed in you. That's how the goodness comes out of us. It doesn't come from us. It comes from Christ in us. And so, beloved, he took these men. He devoted himself to them. And he taught them. So, beloved, let, let us love every human that walks in those doors. Every one of them, no matter who they are or how they look. And let us care about them and devote ourselves to them just as our Lord devoted himself to his apostles. Let us do the same thing. Let us follow his example. He was so patient with them. When they'd ask him silly questions, we, we read him and we say, oh, they should have known that. How many things should I have known? Oh, beloved, let us... Let us meet people with compassion and with love. Let us show kindness to them. Let us not despise their appearance. Beloved, let us not be respecters of persons. No, not in here and not out there. Not out there, beloved. Listen, these are the thoughts that you need to cast out. Cast, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, casting down imaginations. Those are the imagina imaginations that we, we ought to cast out. Beloved, when someone comes in and we meet them and they're lost, let us tell them about the cross of our Christ. Let us tell them about the love of Christ to sinners. Listen, if you're lost, Christ loves sinners. Let us tell them that. Not as angry men and people point and people, they, they promote this thing of, Pointing in sinners' faces, let us show them some love and compassion. Can you show me a place in the scriptures where that's how Christ treated a lost sinner? I'm not talking about the religious Pharisees and the self-righteous. But you show me a place in the scriptures where Christ went and stuck his finger in somebody's face who was lost. He didn't. He didn't. And neither should we, beloved. We need to show them kindness. They need to see Christ in us. We need to, even when they resist the scriptures, we need to in meekness instruct those that oppose themselves. We shouldn't be getting angry at them. Oh, beloved, I pray that we would represent Christ like this. If they profess faith in Christ already, let us meet them where they are. Let us not try and diagnose all of their theology and tell them where they're wrong. Let's, let us meet them where they are. Let us love them 
as brethren that they might be taught of God with us. Let us help them that they might be transformed in their minds by the Spirit of God and the Word of God with us. And let us bring them in and let us let them be conformed to the image of Christ with us, beloved. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. The Apostle Paul talking to the church there. And listen, this is for us. He says, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, that is powerful, influential, and wealthy, not many noble of high rank, are called, not many, doesn't mean that none of them are, but he says not many. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things. Means poor, low, and despised. Listen, many of the the rich elite in the world, they despise you, Christian. They despise people who are lovers of Christ. I remember a politician one day, he said that Christians need Christ as a crutch to lean on. I wouldn't call Christ a crutch, but I would full, I'd say, yes, we do need him to lean on. And some Christian people got angry because he said that. And I thought to myself, why are you getting angry? We are weak. We have no power in ourselves. We need Christ. He says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. And the things which are not to bring to naught or nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so let us not glory in our flesh, nor be respecters of persons. Third, James is pleading with us as beloved brethren as fellow Christians about a very dangerous and damning sinful attitude that should be in none of us. Listen, be warned, Christian, from the word of God of respecting the rich and elite and being prejudiced against those who are common and poor. You may very well be loving whom God hates and despising whom God loves. So be so very careful let me just say again not all but many of the rich of this world who are the elite and upper class despise and oppress the poor they blaspheme that wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ and they despise Christians that's why it perplexes me when you even see Christian people that really want to go meet somebody they want to be in the company of somebody who is one of the rich and elite one that actually hates Christ. James 2.5, if you're back there. James chapter 2 and verse 5. James says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor in this world rich in faith? That's the riches I want. Beloved, this is the riches that you should want. But if you think you've got it all and you think 
you don't need God, you won't be rich in faith until you realize that you're nothing and you need God for all things. He's chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? There's some interesting Proverbs. Proverbs 14.31 says, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. Think about that. If you oppress the poor, you reproach your maker. Reproach means you hold your maker in contempt or you despise your maker. So if you oppress the poor, Proverbs 17 says, whoever mocks the poor reproaches his maker. So if you oppress the poor or you mock the poor, you hold them in contempt, you shun them. It says you reproach your maker. Think about those who oppress and mock the poor. That's exactly how Jesus Christ was treat, treated in his day. Is not this the carpenter's son? This common man, he got no respect. Because the religious elite of that day were respecters of persons. He didn't meet the standards of the scribes and Pharisees. Those who oppress and mock the poor would treat the Lord Jesus with scorn and contempt and despise and reject him because of how he looked. And I love this, and I hope you caught it in James chapter 2 uh, and verse 1. He said, there's a title of the Lord there. He said, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. The Lord of glory took upon himself the form of a servant and lived as a common and poor man in the world. Remember those people in Matthew chapter 8 and also Luke, they said, where do you live? We're going to follow you. He said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head down. You remember also in the book of Luke, I think it's chapter 8, where the Bible says, Mary Magdalene, of whom he cast out seven devils, and Joanna and one of the other women, they ministered to him their substance. They helped him. Second Corinthians 8 9 says this. Though he was rich in glory, yet for your sakes, you know what the rest is, he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be made rich. Man, don't you love Christ? And then Matthew 11 and we'll get ready to close here. Matthew chapter 11. I love this. In Matthew 11. And verse 5. 
This is when John the Baptist sent a few of his disciples to ask, say, are you really the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that should come? John was in prison. Jesus said, verse 5, go show in John, go show John, verse 4, again, those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. That's so important. Hearken, my beloved brother, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Many of the rich and elite, they're not going to listen to the gospel, but the poor would. In closing, if you're a Christian, you're a child of the king. You are always called to obey the royal law. That's what James says if you get back there. You're called, you're commanded to obey the royal law, which is the commands of Christ, your king. And what is that command in the royal law? To love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is your neighbor? Whoever's in front of you. Love your neighbor as yourself without any distinctions, without any partiality, whether rich or poor. James is not teaching not to love the rich man. But he's saying love the poor man too. Verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Listen, the law of liberty. Think about that. See, the law to a lost man is different than it is to the saved man. I'm no longer under the curse of the law. To me, it is a law of liberty. I love God's word. I love God's law. And we should. And you should. See, the Christian is freed from the curse and condemnation of the law and is now a lover of God's law, not in bondage to it. It's not a covenant of works to the Christian, but you're free to obey it. It's, the law to you is liberating. It's the law of liberty. I love it. I love God's law. It is my meditation all the day long. James finishes, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Beloved, our mercy should be without partiality, our compassion without partiality. I remember the rich man in hell he cried out for mercy but received none. But I also remember that in, in his lifetime he showed no mercy. This verse teaches that. He shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy. That was the rich man. Listen, Christian, if you have found yourself to be partial in some or to some and impartial to others, if you are a respecter of persons, if you have been, repent of your sinful bias. Listen, some folks are raised, they're taught, 
prejudices and sinful biases from the time that they're young. Beloved, if you're a Christian, it has no place in the kingdom of God. Repent of it. It must not be in the kingdom of Christ and it must not be in his churches. If you're lost today, you might be well off in the world. You might think I've got it pretty good out in the world. But when it comes to your relationship with God, if you're lost, you may not know it, but you are poor, you are needy, you are helpless. You're in great need of what you will never have without Christ. And that is peace with God. To the non-Christian who would go out and try and do these things, it'll kind of be a drudgery to you. Maybe not kind of, it will be. The Christian loves the Word of God. The Christian is fulfilled to go out into the world and please his Heavenly Father and to please his Christ. The Christian desires to show the love of Christ to anyone that they come in contact with. Yes, we fail. Yes, we fall. But we won't be utterly cast down and we won't continue to be habitual in sin. We will want to put it off. We'll think about our sins and we'll say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be partial. I don't want to be prejudiced. Lord, please help me. Beloved, this is what we need. If you're lost, every single person without exception has sinned and fallen short of what God requires. Yea, demands. God today commands all sinners everywhere to repent without exception or distinction. To repent and believe on Christ. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you're lost today, you qualify. Don't disqualify yourself by saying within yourself that you don't need Christ. Because if you do, you disqualify yourself. Christian, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Be no respecter of persons. But be a lover of Christ and a lover of every human that you come in contact with. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. Father, please help us. Oh God, forgive me, Father, for thinking I'm better than someone else. Forgive us for thinking we're better if we have. Oh Lord, help us, Father, to show the love of Christ. Oh God, to everyone that we come in contact with. Father, I pray that this word would stick in our hearts like the book of Ecclesiastes talks about the words of the master is like goads and they stick in our hearts, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be tender and that we would receive thy truth, O God, and that, Father, in the world we would desire to show forth nothing of ourselves but everything of Christ. O help us, Lord. Forgive us for our sins. 
Be with these precious souls. Lord, I know not the hearts of them you do. Speak to them as only you can and I can't. To the lost, I pray that you would awaken them from their dead slumber. Oh God, give them eternal life. I pray they would believe on thee. Oh God, please, we can do nothing without you. And so we trust you. And Father, we pray that you'd receive all the the glory and the honor. Help us to remember your word. Father, bring us back at 530. I pray for Brother Gary that you would bless the word that he has for us. Oh God, thank you for the whole morning, the Sunday school for Brother Chris's teaching. Father, we just thank you. And now, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts as we depart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.